0: Football season is never over. The Ringer NFL Show has got all your football needs covered from free agency to the draft and so much more. Check out the Ringer NFL Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or... Standard third row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy.
2: Basketball is very good. Welcome to NBA University. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Here today, as always, is our distinguished professor of small ball, Jonathan Charks, and our dean of basketball video research, Jay Kyle Mann. How are you guys
3: doing today? Super. Just super duper. Thank you for that.
4: I'm excited. Kentucky's about to make a Cinderella run to the SEC tournament. I'm going to talk to some young players. It's always fun.
3: Do you believe that in your heart? Do you really think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. yeah it's probably not gonna sorry about that kyle (laughs) you know it's it's springtime and we got it that's hope is in the air i think that i'm just gonna be hopeful screw it negativity be damn we're gonna win it we're going all the way
2: (laughs) it's a good time to feel hopeful and if this is your first time listening to ringer nba university on this show we focus on the younger players in the league and their situations and the teams they play on and so on today's show, since it's the halfway point of the season, later on we're gonna hand out some midterm grades to a bunch of the younger guys in the league. We'll talk about DeAndre Ayton, Shea Alexander, James Wiseman, and others. But first, for our main topic, we're talking about a rookie who get an A from everybody in the team he plays for. Let's discuss Lamelo Ball and the Charlotte Hornets. They're 17 and 18 entering the break, smack in the middle of the playoff race in the East with a fun. Young team with a good little mix of some veterans in there too, with Gordon Hayward. But LaMelo Ball, I mean, he's been awesome. In his 15 games as a starter, he's averaging 21 points on 59% true shooting and 45% from three with seven assists and six rebounds per game. That's all star level production. Kyle, what has stood out to you the most about LaMelo Ball?
3: Well, you know, there's some big picture thoughts here about the Hornets that I think we'll get into. But I mean, just in terms of like him, like specifically the things that have surprised me based on the way I've evaluated him the last couple of years. Um, His defensive activity and his anticipation has really surprised me, mainly the activity part, because you can't do one without the other. But, I mean, his hands have been really good um, jumping into passing lanes. It is the most
2: Kyle man thing to start out with defensive (laughs) activity with Lavello. It's it's but that kind of sums it up, though. It's not just passing. It's not just scoring. It's also defense.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're kind of, you know, hammering something over the head that people have heard a million times, like LaMelo is an unbelievable passing ball handling talent. I was telling somebody the other day, like I keep he's one of those players that like the hyperbole. I just keep I keep moving the goalposts for like how I'm I'm like I don't I think he could be this good and then he keeps, you know, kind of proving it right, like I think he's one of the most talented passer ball handlers I've literally ever seen. I mean, I'm, I mean that. And I think that he's probably, I'll say something else. I think people will probably, this isn't that wild, but he's the most talented player that Charlotte's in their franchise history, going back to the beginning oh, yeah. of the franchise, in my opinion.
4: I mean, it's the low bar, but it's for sure true.
3: Yes.
2: Oh, 100% true. And with the mellow ball, man, it, it, it's the type of thing where at this point, Charles, when we were prepping for this podcast, you mentioned like how many young guys are there really that you would take over LaMelo right now. And I think if you're looking at players who are 23 and under here, uh, right now, maybe Luka, Zion, Tatum. I mean, I'd take LaMelo right now over Trey and John Morant. No, no I question think pretty that. Oh,
3: yeah. yeah. He's just so much bigger than those guys. Let me posit something. Let's say I called you and I'm like, I would trade you, bam, for LaMelo Ball. What would you say? Right, we're GMs. I wouldn't do it. I just think LaMelo's position. That's what it comes back to
4: is like, point forward six foot seven six foot eight he just makes everyone better the offense flows through him it's just a direct line if i have a good player at this position i'm gonna have a good team all the other positions it's more indirect like i have a great point forward forget about it i'm not gonna it's like I'm giving up a quarterback
2: and i think with Lamelo, his command of the game at this young age it You know, Ja is really good. Trey is really, really good. LaMelo is so different. Like you said, he's one of the most talented passers you've ever seen, Kyle. And I I think entering the draft with him, I mean, none of us had him ranked number one. Um, So that was a mistake. A lot of executives didn't have him ranked number one. Many had him ranked outside the top five. Some said they wouldn't take him in the top five, which is crazy to say now. But with LaMelo, I looked at his passing in Australia and at lower levels and felt he is an unbelievable passer not an unbelievable playmaker there was a difference at the time because of some issues with shot selection he would often pull up around the elbow and take that bad floater that was a low percentage shot um, often contested too but he has become a great playmaker already because the decision making the shot selection has already improved to a point that when you watch Lamella Ball he has lifted up and elevated all of his teammates including the veterans like Gordon Hayward those guys have such great chemistry together he's helped elevate Miles Bridges On the court, I mean, he already is somebody who enhances the talents of everybody around him. And that's something that you don't say about many players until on their, they're in their third, fourth,
4: fifth season of their careers. He's different. LaMelo's different. I think the thing for me that, I mean, that I missed totally was just the jump shot. I was just not sure it was going to translate. The form was weird. The numbers weren't there, but he's stroking it. He's sitting threes at a really high number. And I think that opens up so much of the rest of his game. Like one, he's sitting jumped on snuff. You got to guard him out there. So he has room to run. And I think more importantly, what I was worried about him was like, if he's not shooting jumpers, he has to have the ball. It has to be the LaMelo show, but he's hitting enough jumpers. He can play off the ball. That's the most cool to watch for me. with Charlotte is like the ball moves around. He doesn't really play like Luca or Trey, where it has to be LaMelo all the time. I mean, Hayward gets a bunch of touches. Terry Rozier gets a bunch of touches. Everybody just gets to eat. And, He's really smart off ball too. Like he cuts really, really well. He's just like a really, the basketball IQ and the ability to do everything with the jump shot, it just makes him such a well-rounded, really dynamic player.
3: I think I think I was probably of the three of us probably the most confident about him. Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm guessing on that because I kind of hedged on it. I was like, I think by far he's easily the most talented player in the draft. That was my opinion. But I was like, these questions could pull him back a little bit. And I think what you're talking about, what you both are talking about with the shooting is, and it makes us think about the way we look at these guys going forward. It's like when you look at a guy who has questionable shooting, like Lamelo, who has odd mechanics. You have to scrutinize the sample, and with him, he has removed some of the, you know, dribble, like three or four plus dribbles and then shoot. I was watching him last night, and I was like, he was kind of, you know, rocker step, kind of going back and forth. And I was like, he would normally shoot this ball here, and then he would attack and get into the middle of the floor. He's just been doing that a lot more, and that has really helped his percentages, and you were talking about helping... Out different players, it's been across the board. I was even looking at some of like uh, Malik Monk's unassisted baskets. Like his percentages have really jumped up. And it's just when you have a player like this in your, within your team, it just it raises the tide. It raises the floor.
2: Absolutely does. And Sharks, you mentioned how they're sharing the ball in the last fifteen games as a starter with Lamelo. You know Devontae Graham hasn't played all those games. Only played five of them. But in those fifteen games, Lamelo was leading the team with eighty-seven touches per game. But you do have Rozier getting 66 a game. You have Hayward getting 62 a game. And then Devontae Graham, when he was playing, was getting 62 a gra- yeah, game. So they are sharing the ball. It's not like the Mello is dominating the ball, dribbling it, you know, six, seven times per possession. Yeah. He's, you know, he's actually dribbling it only 3.7 times per possession if you want the exact number from NBA.com. And that's pretty low compared to other guys that handle the ball or touch the ball as much as he does. And that really speaks to just how Charlotte, with a guy like LaMelo Ball, with a star like him, why when you're talking about like theoretical you know, player value rankings, you know, Bam or LaMelo, or Tatum or LaMelo, that needs to be factored in with the fact that this is somebody who, unlike some of the other great young guards in the league, he can play at a high level without the ball. We have seen him as a cutter. We've seen him as a spot-up shooter. We have seen him in a myriad of different roles. Even that, you know, I think the defining moment of the season for me so far with Charlotte is that Malik Monk game winner. The and one against the Sacramento Kings. Awesome play by Monk during a great game by him. But LaMelo gave up the ball. The unselfishness Mm -hmm. that he has and the the character and enthusiasm with which he plays with feels like it has really already affected this entire team. They play with love for the game, man. I, I love to watch these Hornets. They're maybe number one league pass rankings right now or pretty high up there, at least. This is
4: a, a fun, good, well-rounded team right now. Yeah, and KOC, like you're talking about time of possession. The one I look at a lot is time of possession, and his is like six minutes, whereas like Trey and Luke are like nine. Yeah, And it's really funny because, you know, all the stuff coming in, the whispers about LaMelo and LeVar and chemistry, <laughs> and it's like everybody wants to play with LaMelo. And I think, I think you'll see that a lot. Guys love playing with that because he passes and gives the ball up. I think like compared to Luca and Trey, it's hard to play with those guys because they're holding it so much, but LaMelo makes it, you remember the whole thing with the wizards a couple of years ago, everybody eats. Like that's oh, what's happening yeah, in Charlotte yeah. right now is everybody's eating. Everyone's dribbling. It's just a fun team.
2: And that's with a guy who could be somebody who handles the ball in a heliocentric offense. The, the popular turn from Ben Taylor, Seth now, all those, you know, stats guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing, let's go back to the defensive aspect, Kyle, real quick. Um, with Lamelo, I want to talk about his defense real quick. He he's one of six players this season who's racked up over 100 deflections mm-hmm. after uh, entering the break. Jokic, Covington, Simmons, McConnell, and Van Vliet are the others. All five of them smart, you know, good defenders. Lamelo averaging 3.2 deflections per game as a rookie in the five years of NBA.com Hustle Stat data. No other rookie had over three deflections per game. The closest were Simmons and Lonzo at 2.9. Mikkel Bridges with 2.7 Matisse Thybul with 2.6 deflections isn't some end all be all stat but I do think it is indicative of a player who has a high IQ and a feel for getting in the passing lanes and making a, being a playmaker on the defensive end of the floor so Kyle like what is your evaluation of LaMelo uh, early on in his career right now
3: well a lot of what Charlotte is doing is kind of that pressing uphill to he's he's used to playing this stylistic way is that like you know Pressuring uphill to get deflections rather than sagging back and playing like positional defense where, you know, you have like great rim protection. Um, I mean, Charlotte overall, it it's it's an interesting dynamic between the deflections. Like we said, he he's demonstrated that he's he, that he's good for this and his IQ has kind of flipped both sides. Like, you know, he's shown really good spatial intelligence. Court mapping—that's another uh, nerdy one that that I've seen thrown around a lot. That's a good one. Uh, his sense for where players are and where they're going to be is great, even though Wait, he's Kyle. not like what I would.
4: What, what is court mapping? I've not like explain that to me real quick.
3: That—that's one where it, it's just people. It's sort of like spatial sense, is, is as as I understand it. Somebody could probably hit us up and give a better understanding. It's just kind of your your sort of constant uh, awareness of your of your surrounding on the court, like where okay. everybody is. Well, so yeah, what you think of some
4: guys are basically. Okay.
3: Yeah. Like a player like Larry Bird had great, even though he was, you know, not a super athlete. He was incredible at shooting passing lanes because he just had a good sense of where the ball was, where, where it was and where it was going to be, you know, seeing the game in triangles, things like that. We were talking about one of the things about Charlotte that I think going forward is going to open the door for kind of questions about where they go from here. You know, okay, now you've got this talented player. You haven't had anybody like this before. We were talking about <laughs> historically their easy offense has been Horrendous! Like they they've been really really bad at the rim since like 2004. Kyle, that's that was
2: from cleaning the glass. Like they've never ranked in the top 20 in percentage of shots finished at the rim in their history of the franchise. That's insanity to me. That's
3: insane. (laughs) I mean, the majority of them they're in the bottom five. I mean, there's a bunch of thirties on there. They like they're dead last. So it's just uh, to me that demonstrates a lack of talent. But so you have some talent now. So you're going forward we were talking about how they're fun, but they also are going to have to start moving into this phase of asking some questions about the talent that is a little bit older than, than LaMelo. And, and that is like, they're giving up a lot, a lot, a lot of open threes, the most in the league. So it's like, you have these, this personnel, LaMelo is not really a ball pressure guy. You know, the deflections are fun and that can distract people from what's important. And that is, you know, just keeping guys away from the lane so that you can shut down offenses and things like that. Um, I don't think that he's super switchable at this point. Um, I don't know. Do you guys ever see him developing into like a quality ball pressure guy? Or are they going to need to import more of that to improve? Like, how can they improve on that front?
4: Well, I think one, the weird number that stood out to me is they're number one in the league in zone defense by a mile. So like they're 15% of their possessions are on zone. Most teams are below five. So I just wonder what the correlation is between the ball pressure stuff and like open threes and you're playing zone all the time. And that seems a little unsustainable to me. And then the other thing, yeah, I mean, LaMelo, I think he'll be a good team defender. But point of attack defense, I don't think he has the speed to really do that at a high level.
2: And right now, they don't necessarily have the personnel to take on that role. And that'll be a question with them moving forward. You have Malik Monk, who, you know, he's been better defensively than he ever has been in his career, I think. I mean, everybody talks about the offense. He's been great on that end of the floor since January 30th, averaging 17 points on 44% from three 20 plus points, six times that guy's been awesome on offense, but also inside some really good moments on defense too. He did a great job with point of attack defense against Devin Booker, but still with his size uh, and his light frame, he's not going to be one of those stoppers at the top of the key. And, you know, Devonte Graham on the smaller side too. So they do need to find that defender that that's the perfect fit next to LaMelo ball. But, You know, I I, I do think with LaMelo, there is versatility and there is an untapped potential because he does have the fluidity. He does have the quickness. And maybe over time, it's about mastering fundamentals, Um, because for him, he he is never really by understanding, like he's never really been coached. At a, at a like you know when it comes to stuff like that when it comes to discipline and and that's what we're seeing under borrego and that's one of the reasons why i think this is working so well for charlotte and for lamello is he was being held accountable early in the year our first show of nba university we talked about borrego's comment saying he's not going to start you know a player who's making too many mistakes on the defensive end of the floor and of course the Devonte graham injury helped open up some more playing time for for lamello and a starting opportunity but Fact is, is we have seen progress with shot selection. He's not taken that silly floater from the elbow I mentioned earlier quite as much. And defensively, I think he's been pretty disciplined on that end of the floor in comparison to what he was in the past. So clearly, LaMelo is a learner and somebody who is open to change. And I think these are, you know, human qualities that, you know, bode well for improvement, you know. And so for LaMelo, with his length and quickness, I don't think it's inconceivable that he can become a, a good or high-level uh, point-of-attack defender Kyle.
3: Interesting floater class we have this year. Have you all noticed that? It's like Halbert, an incredible floater game. Oh, yeah. Maxi, incredible floater game. Quickly. Lamelo. Quickly. Quickly, too, yeah. Uh, just I interesting. The floater's, a, ca- the floater's
4: really growing up. I mean, Ja last year, Brandon Clark. Like, It's a great shot if you can get it. I mean, more, more people have it probably every year.
2: We, we've talked a little bit about Malik Monk today.
4: Um, are you guys buying this improvement that we've seen in his third year now? I mean, I think it's who he always was, right? Like, I think we always saw the talent. I feel like the issues in Sharp with him were not really on the court. He had that really weird and kind of scary suspension last year for what a schedule one narcotics. Like, I mean, he's always had talent and he's a great sixth man. I think he, I, I mean, as long as he's taken on the court, I think he'll be a good player.
3: To me, Malik Monk is not, you know, I think you have different types of players when you're building a team. I think you have guys who are like, okay, you're going to be the literal, like if you're building a house, you have the literal foundation. Okay, we have a Luka. We have a LeBron. We have the rare types if you're trying to build a championship. And then you have the guys who are like the walls and the framework and things like that. And then you have guys who are like, You're a pretty piece of furniture that's going to help the overall vibe of our house. I feel like Monk is much more of the ladder type of thing. So he's He's like the 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 pool
4: equipment. He's like all the... cabanas in the back
3: yeah yeah i just feel like monk is the type of guy who he definitely is like context dependent like he's he's nuanced that you that you stack on top of like your implied things that you have on your roster already i mean he's and he's responded i mean he's obviously a high level talent but he doesn't uh he he kind of relates to somebody we're going to talk about later in my opinion but i mean career high true shooting percentage at 60.9 um yeah i mean he just He's a guy that you just plug in there and you're like, hey, get buckets. That's the situation because there is kind of a threshold with him where if you ask too much of him, his efficiencies can kind of slide, in my opinion. But, I mean, uber talent in that first area, for sure.
4: And the nice thing about Charlotte is they just have so many good young players. Because I was kind of breaking down the roster before we did this pod. What stood out to me is so they hired Mitch Kupchak, the old Lakers GM, three years ago now. And pretty much all his picks have been good. So he picked Miles Bridges, P.J. Washington, LaMelo Ball. So three great first round picks where they were taken. Three hits. Second round picks, mm-hmm. Devontae Graham, fantastic pick. He got Cody Martin, who's been a good player. He got Jalen McDaniels in the 50s, who's been a decent player for them. Like He's just knocking out picks left and right. And that's what they missed in the last 15 years. is They would just blow picks constantly. And now like Mitch Kupchak, he hits doubles when he has doubles, singles when he has singles. <laughs> and he got a home run with LaMelo Ball. It's like... Every time up to bat, he's knocking out picks. That's really the most impressive part to me. And I feel like all
2: of those guys that you listed, especially the first round picks, uh, Miles Bridges and PJ Washington, those guys feel like keepers to me. For those, sure, they both sure. fit very, very, very well around Lamella Ball. And I know, you know, I'm glad you mentioned PJ Washington, Sharks, because you know he had that big 42 point game against the Sacramento Kings. It felt like a flash of what he could potentially be offensively on his best nights. He's somebody who I feel like on both ends of the floor, the fit is there for him to be a long-term piece on this team. The defense still needs to improve a bit. Uh, the offensive consistency needs to improve. But even if he is a streaky guy on offense, I don't, I don't mind having those guys if I'm a team that, ha- that needs somebody to pop on a certain night. He's not going to be one of those guys that you lean on every night, but he's somebody who can provide something where maybe some nights he goes off for 25, 30 points. Other nights, maybe he'll settle in around 10 to 15. It's okay to have those guys who are your variables and your X factors. So, you know, with PJ Washington, he had an interesting little college career. Kyle, have you, how have you seen PJ (laughs) Washington? That's the way of putting it. Yeah.
3: Interesting little college career, didn't he?
2: I mean, so like since his college career, how have you seen his game develop and, You know, where do you want to see it go from here? I mentioned the inconsistency aspects.
3: Well, the big thing for him was it's been an interesting evolution for PJ because I feel like he came in and was like, I need to become, I don't know. I I, I find it interesting to track guys who are like, I really want to play on the perimeter. But really, it seems like there's been this space for guys. If you can play that small ball five role, it's like he's had sort of a back and forth between developing his perimeter skills and maintaining that interior kind of identity. But for him, he came back to Kentucky to improve his catch and shoot, like pick and pop. Like you got to be able to shoot from the perimeter. And he did that. He showed some more glimpses of passing out of doubles and things like that. This was an interesting stat for me. Um, Did you guys see this stat I put in the doc about him, his positional, like their offensive efficiency? I couldn't believe this. I double checked it. Charlotte, uh, when pj plays uh, Borrego before the season said he was going to do this and i was like please god do this uh when he plays the 4 they're at they are at 107.4 points per possession and when pj plays the 5 they are at 118.1 that's a pretty big jump so and and they'll throw some lineups out there like i one of the lineups they threw out there was like lamelo monk hayward miles and pj Ooh, that offensively that's, that's vicious yeah, I mean, they're not leaning on that one heavily. I mean, they'll mix it, mix in Rogier, obviously, and Graham when they can, but they they can put some offensive lineups out there that are just wild. I think for PJ, what I was gonna ask you guys was, you know, they've been putting him in these positions where he's, you know, I think it's good it's good for him to operate from the high post because I think he can attack fives off the dribble from there. He's a lot better from there than he is like attacking from spot ups because he's a little stiff. He's not super flexible. Who do you guys think? is going to be more likely to be a part of their... Like, who do you think that they would be more likely to flip for something they super, super need? Between, I'm not saying they would do this, but Miles or PJ, what do you think? If you had to pick, if you were were their genome. Because he does have some things. It's like, you know, PJ has some areas where he could grow, and I was just curious if they could maintain their, their course and still I don't know. I'm not trying to blindside yeah. you all with that question. If but. you're
2: if you're power ranking, you know, Charlotte's players, they're young guys who you'd want to keep obviously LaMelo's number one. Goes without saying, um, that's a no brainer. After that, really, I mean, this is like a kind of a cop out answer here, Kyle, but is it actually like a 2a 2b scenario with monk and washington where it largely is dependent on who you get back and the reason why i say that is because you know the past week i reported you know and others have reported that they have interest in nikola vucevic from orlando 30 year old trying to set you up for yes. it, uh, so with vooch you know he is that playmaking hub at, at the big man position around the elbow area and if you're getting vooch it makes more sense to give up pj washington if you're getting a wing player, you know, maybe it makes more sense to give up Miles Bridges in that scenario. So I'd probably give Bridges the edge um, yes. in most scenarios. Love it. I mean, love yeah, it. I mean, we Bridges love, here, KFC. I, I know you love Bridges, and I think all the, the, the good youth here in Charlotte, um, it makes me wonder about the interest in a 30-year-old, in Nikola Vucevic. How should Charlotte be operating right here? Because they do have a special talent. And LaMelo on his rookie contract, who I would argue if you're ranking players based on production this season alone, he's been one of the 40 best guys in basketball, the best 40 or 50 best guys in the NBA this season alone, like 20 points, you know, as a starter, as a starter, like I said earlier, 21 points on 59% true shooting with seven assists and six rebounds, limited turnovers, impactful defense. That's one of the, that's a borderline all star. Right there. And if you have that guy in a rookie deal, there is some logic to maybe surrounding that young player with veterans and making a run like the Celtics did with Jason Tatum and with Jalen Brown. They went to three out of the last four Eastern Conference finals. They made a run with a lot of veterans. So I can understand the logic with Charlotte being involved or actually thinking about this. But where do you guys think they should go? Like,
4: what should be the, the mindset here when you have a talent like LaMelo? I guess I'm more like, I get, I feel like Michael Jordan's always been impatient when he has even a halfway decent team. But to me, there's just no reason to rush. You've got a bunch Mm -hmm. of good young players. Your franchise guy is what, 18 or 19? This is a five, six year, let's build a sustainable winner for the first time ever in the history of this franchise. I mean, you're drafting really well. You're going to have a pick in the teens. There'll be good players there. To me, it's just a boom, slow, steady. Don't give up Bridges. Don't give up Washington. Let's just build a really sustainable winner for a long time. Because if you're you got a Lamello ball, all of a sudden your timelines have changed, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're gonna have to keep this guy in 2027 and have a championship team by then, because he's gonna be that level of player. Let's just slowly build this thing and have him for 15 years. There's no reason to rush now on year one, I don't think.
3: Is there anybody off the top of your head that you think would be that could inject that would be, let's say their pick is in the teens that could like quickly inject some could play right away for them. Is there anybody that comes to mind? Well,
4: I think for me, I look at their team. Their centers are terrible. Like we haven't even talked about that. Like I would say Zeller and Biombo is probably what a bottom five center combination in the league. Like bottom three maybe. Like I would just try to draft a young center if I was just picking for the fit of the rest of the roster. But I got the best player available at that point, I think.
2: I think we're on the same page there, Sharks, especially Makes sense with the Vucevic interests that he would be a center that you might want to target if it's an aging guy, but definitely should be thinking about that in the draft uh, over the next five, six years with a mellow. Like I said, he's already one of the best 40 or 50 best guys in the league this season. What needs to happen with his development for him to reach top 15, top 10 status? What are the, the holes in his game that need to be filled?
3: Well, I think you mentioned it earlier, is it like how capable is he? We've kind of had similar conversations like about Halliburton. It's like, how capable is he of occasionally putting on that heliocentric helio, Holy crap. Kentucky came out of me just now. Did you? Heliocentric. Um, Do you have a Kentucky accent,
4: Kyle? I can't even tell, honestly. Yeah, I can't either.
3: I think you can hear it sometimes. Like when I say horses. So what would be a Kentucky
4: accent? Yeah. What are the words? Horses? give us a good one?
3: Well, it kind of turns on and off. Like, my wife always observes this whenever I see my family. It's like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, it's like that. <laughs> like, I can do it effortlessly. Like, yeah. It's, uh... I do it in my videos sometimes. Yeah. That ain't going to work okay. in the NBA, fellas. I'm going to need yeah. one
4: K- Kentucky Kyle answer each episode. Just give me, like, a minute and a half.
3: <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I'll answer it as a Kentuckian. You want me to do that? Okay. I think uh, Lamella, if he's going <laughs> to transition into – a heliocentric type player and move into that top all-star status. He's going to have to prove that he can consistently score and and then flip his, flip his score and gravity into creation for his teammates, because that's what the best players in the world do. So, you know, talking about total offense, raising that up so that uh, the Charlotte Hornets uh, can benefit as a result.
4: That was fantastic. (laughs) Ch- Charks, now you have to respond to uh, the Texas like, accent. Charks, i first-generation <laughs> Y'all, I got nothing. Like, I got nothing for that. <laughs> I would Sorry. agree. I guess like, to great, go back Kyle. to the point, I think, yeah, for Flamelo, I want to see him put some weight on. He's real scrawny right now. I think that'll help him finish around the rim. Look at that two-point percentage. Maybe get to like 200 pounds, 205. Just carry some more weight, I think. You know, get a bigger.
3: And that'll help him score. That's kind of what I'm what I was jokingly getting at. Yeah, I I think those things are important for him to up his offense and and the shooting and things. Yeah,
2: for sure. And drawing fouls at the rim that that's the difference between so many good and great scorers or great and elite scorers is the ability to draw fouls and live at the free throw line. And with Lamelo, he's been way, way better at getting to the basket than I expected him to be as a rookie, taking 40 percent of his shots at the rim this season. Once the fouls start coming from him, those points per game are just going to go up. When you get those easy points, already 80 plus percent from the free throw line, it's, it's amazing how good he is already. It, like, it just genuinely is amazing how good Lamella yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, already.
4: it's funny because you're talking about like top 10 player. I'm like, yes, did it happen? Like, at this point now, I'm like, he's going to be a top 10 player one day. It's, it's I didn't oh, really? see it coming at all. I think that'll happen for sure.
3: Oh, yeah, you were talking about free throw production. I I looked this up for a video the other day. 20, it's like 28 of the top 30 scores in the NBA get to the free throw line and put up four attempts per game at least, four or more. So it's mm. it's a requisite if you're going to be a big-time scorer.
2: All right, that's enough of the Hornets. Next up, we're going to be sharing some midterm grades, and then we're going to break down a potential top five pick in Jalen Green, and maybe we'll do some more uh, impressions too coming up after the break. <laughs> All right, guys, so it's the halfway point of the season, and today, since this is NBA University, we're going to be handing out midterm grades, six players still in their rookie contracts, and we're going to discuss their games and their teams, and we will each going to present two of them. Charks, you want to start us off?
4: Yeah, I'm going to go with my guy, Patrick Williams, uh, Ooh, yeah. Chicago Bulls, number four overall pick. I mean, he kind of rose really fast last year in the pre-draft process, didn't start at Florida State, and he's pretty much started the whole season in Chicago. He's playing a big role on, I guess, a playoff team right now. I'm not sure whether exactly they're ranked. And to me, he's been one of the most impressive rookies. You start thinking about what he's done now as a rookie and projecting him forward. I mean, I think he's, an, he's a clear A to me, Patrick Williams. When you look at his numbers, there's just no real holes in his game, right? He's scoring efficiently. He's at 47%. He's shooting threes, 39%. He's rebounding, five rebounds, 0.7 steals, 0.8 blocks. He guards the best player on the opposing team most nights, the forward spots. And I look at this guy. He's very athletic. He's very big for a forward. He's 6'8", 230. He can guard multiple positions. He can shoot. He's a really smart player. You watch Mm -hmm. him play. He doesn't play like a rookie, really. He's very under control. He's part of their bull system. And I'm watching him. It kind of reminds me a lot of DeAndre Hunter last year, where you can see the tools, but he's probably ahead of where Hunter was. And he's three years younger than Hunter. He's only 19. He's one of the youngest players in the NBA. And I look at Patrick Williams. I see a guy, he's going to be, I think the ability, we talked about this with P.J. Washington in the last segment, where there are nights where he doesn't do much, but he still fills the role well. That's the thing is, on the nights where he's not scoring, he's still guarding, he's spacing the floor, he's moving the ball. But then he can explode for offense sometimes. So I look at him as just like the next really good big wing guy I see a future star at number four. It was a great pick for Chicago. I I just think the sky's the limit for this guy.
3: He kind of he kind of gives me some vibes of like a like a little like Jalen Brownie. Like he could be a little bit like that in terms of his development. But I, I like that comp too. Like he's well, I guess my mind is just gravitating towards really intelligent, really big guy. Like, and I'm also noticing that like around the rim, he's really efficient in terms of like on the offensive glass. What do you think that he is? What in your opinion? Have you shifted at all, I guess? Have you, like, dialed it into, like, I was here and now I'm here at this more, like, optimistic level? Or has, has your projection of him changed at all since the draft? No,
4: I've, I was always a big Williams guy. I had him top five, and I, I think he was a top five player in this driving. I that's pretty clear now.
3: I just think would the tools move, were Would you
4: move up there. to, like, number two, though? Uh, no, because the guys all ahead there? of him are playmakers. I think that's the one thing he doesn't have, which is, like, I like the Jalen Brown comp to a bit where he's not a guy you can run the offense through, right? I think he's a number two, number three option. Whereas, like, LaMelo, Halliburton, those are guys who can create shots for other people. I guess that's the one hole in his game. No, I mean in a redraft charts. Yeah.
2: You know, would you move him we up know you like to him. number
4: two? We know, we know uh, you always like him. You wrote a big feature on him last yeah, year, which was I'd awesome. Decide, no, I mean, down. I would say for sure I'd have LaMelo and Halliburton over him. And then... Okay. Ant Man, I go back and forth. Ant Man, I still believe in the talent, but man, mm. it's not really been there this year. So I'd say three or four with Ant Man. I think to your point there, Charks, with Patrick Williams,
2: the go to scoring potential is there. You know, I'm not sure he'll ever be a playmaker, but the go to scoring potential is there with his fluidity off the dribble this season he's taken 85 dribble jumpers and only 7 of them have three-pointer have been three-pointers the far majority are from two-point range 78 of them have been pull-up twos but he's hitting 45% of those that's a really high percentage especially for a rookie and he's got the moves he's got the fluidity he's got the strength and he doesn't take a ton of threes but it's so easy to project that area of his game developing he's hitting 39 percent of his catch and shoot threes 79 percent of his free throws he's got touch he's got the ability to pull up uh, i just imagine like four years from now five years from now when this guy is taking pull up threes instead of pull up twos there's there's superstar potential there charks and you wrote about it in that story last year he's
4: somebody who has an elite work ethic doesn't he yeah i mean everyone around him like he had one of the most stellar, like everyone you talk to. This guy is awesome. Everyone just loves him. I mean, like, I had like this doc of like nice things people said about Patrick Williams. <laughs> it was like a page and a half long of like, this guy's just the absolute best. And he's just very mature for it. That's thing. He's not only is he very young, he's just very mature. He doesn't carry himself like a star. And I guess if you really want to get into it, I'm a big believer in the younger brother. So he had two older brothers. And I think that's such a huge advantage for these basketball players, right? Because if you're a big time basketball player growing up, you're just dominating all the time because you're bigger and faster than everyone. And it's easy to get a big ego. But when you have older brothers, you're just not right. They're keeping you in check. They're making you work harder. They're constantly humbling you. And you just have to learn. You kind of view yourself differently as opposed to being an older brother who just dunks on everyone all the time.
3: I was yeah, an that's only a, child. Somebody should do like a study <laughs> on that because I do think that that like ingrains adaptability into players. Pascal Siakam, younger brother of other college basketball players, apparently. Uh, Michael Jordan was a younger brother, not the closest to her. Like a fair, yeah. I mean, it's like a, it's a, Lamelo. Like it's a, it's a thing where you are forced to be to have adaptability because you're playing against a player. You can't lean on anything, like you were saying. Yeah. I think leaning on convenient. Traits that are often physical that are often like rooted in like athletic traits can really, really stunt growth. That is a really fascinating point. I, for me, I think that the most curious, I was curious that he hasn't like had any post up touches this year. I think that like he could turn into somebody that could get his own offense from like, you know, ISO situations like that. But For me, he has that crossover between like three, four switchability. And some of those players in the league are like where are some of the toughest players to stop. Like we've talked a lot about like Jimmy Butler, the Jimmy Butlers, the LeBrons. Like it's hard to find those guys that are quick enough and strong enough to bother those players. And I think he has a lot of potential on that front.
4: I think that's a good point about three, four. I think this is the question for Chicago going forward. They'll have to figure out. We talked about this last time we talked about Patrick Williams, but these numbers just stood out to me. So when he's playing with Lori, they're minus 18 when he's in net, net rating when he's playing without Laurie, they're minus two. I just think that just shows like when he's playing at the four and he has Garrett temple or Otto Porter, just this is more flexible lineup when you're playing Laurie at the four Patrick at the three, it's just, you're bigger, you're less flexible or just less ball movement. That's just my, when, I think is what's going on there.
2: When, so when you're building this thing out, if you're Chicago um, and you're trying to maximize the development of Patrick Williams and Zach Levine and this younger core, you have, You know, I've reported this past week that Thaddeus Young is somebody. It doesn't seem like their general manager wants to move. Uh, It seems like Wendell Carter Jr., same thing there, that they want to keep those guys. Larry Markkinen seems like the guy that they could potentially
4: move. Is that for their best uh, moving forward, Sharks? I don't know. It's tough because I've never been a big Laurie guy. I think you're much higher on him than I am, right, KOC? So, like, sell me on. I've just never been a big believer in him.
2: I mean, the scoring talent is there. Yeah. With Larry marketing, like there's an ability for him to be a versatile piece for you with size. who you, you can run off screens and handoffs and do a f- bunch of funky stuff on the perimeter. And might, that co- might cause matchup issues for the defense. As for the fit in Chicago, I'm less certain about that. Uh, I don't know if the blend there with Larry marketing alongside Patrick Williams and all these other guys that you mentioned is, is great. Uh, so I think there's some reshuffling that could be necessary for the Bulls to maximize what they have. In Patrick Williams and Zach Levine and Kobe White and all their young guys, um, Kyle. Let's move on to your first player for midterms,
3: fellas. Today I want to tell you about Shea Gilgis. Oh, Alexander. surprise!
4: A Kentucky guy. Oh yeah,
3: <laughs> guys. The Judds taught us that love can build a bridge, but what they failed to say was that Shea Gilgis Alexander can too if he stands between two landmasses and he outstretches his preposterously long arms. Shea. The lanky and swanky third-year guard for the OKC Thunder, the man whose jersey has more fine print on the back of it than some contracts, is relishing the opportunity this year to further expand his production after multiple contributors have moved on and as the franchise focuses on being young and crappy. Uh, This year, he is averaging 23.4 points per game on 62.7% true shooting, both career highs. Ah, uh, he's getting to the line more, and he's hitting forty-one point two percent from three at a higher volume. He's also uh, doubled his assist percentage, uh, and his box plus-minus has jumped from one point seven to four point four. He also grew some really cool dreads. Now, the book on SGA has been that <laughs> I like didn't take a breath during that first part. Uh, the book on SGA has been, you know, he's a score-first, slippery, elusive down here hill player with you know incredible craftiness around the rim. And that has stayed true. This is a really amazing stat. Among players carrying at least 100 pick-and-roll possessions, and that's 71 guys in the NBA so far, Shea uh, has the second-highest score frequency in the NBA. Ooh. So downhill, he is still a monster. But the issue is that everybody knows that. Like, everybody knows that. I have access to that on Synergy, and so do teams. So when they got my grade for him, I think it's going to be contingent on it's it's— I'm going to grade him favorably based on the way things have gone. But I think the jury is out because, you know, in the playoffs, Houston knew that. And their switchability with their with their size of their switchability, you know, they had a lot of guys that were longer and faster that could get in his way. Uh, they cut his rim production in half. So for me, I think that, you know, he's not going to have a chance to sort of like prove himself on that front in a playoff series anytime soon. But this season he's increased his efficiency from three and through 30 games. He's improved all of his jump shooting off the bounce. Uh, and for that reason, I'm going to give Shea Gildas Alexander a 91% on his midterm. Mm, 91%. Oh,
2: wow. Very a precise pers- I like, grade. I like, the, I like the number grade. Very nice. I appreciate that. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Questions.
2: <laughs> well, well said with Gildas Alexander, Kyle. And I, I think I'm glad you mentioned the pick and roll scoring efficiency. He's very good in, in that area. And I would say this year with Oklahoma City, the assist numbers would be far better if he had better teammates around him, too. I was yeah. impressed by his playmaking. It seems like some of the Chris Paul influence has you know, been embedded in him and the way in which he operates in the pick and roll. And this season, I was looking at his numbers this morning before recording. NBA.com has a stack called potential assists. And Gildas Alexander this year is averaging 6.2 assists per game. He has 13.8 potential assists, which means 7.6 shots per game that could be assists have been missed by teammates. Of the 35 guys this season to log at least 10 potential assists this season, SGA ranks 34th in those assist opportunities being converted into made baskets. Only John Wall's been worse, unsurprisingly, on the Rockets this year, one of the worst teams in the league. But with Gildas Alexander, I don't think there's any issue with passing accuracy. There's no issue with feel or timing. It's just largely a matter of the supporting cast around him. And with SGA, I I would predict moving forward as Oklahoma City's talent around him improves, you will see him maintain that elite scoring efficiency in the pick and roll, but also get possibly even better overall because the threat of that passing ability is just going to enhance overall who he is as a
4: player. He, He could be special. He could be koc but haven't we seen this movie before with oklahoma city point guards and like oh man if they ever had spacing around them they have a lot more assists and then the spacing (laughs) just never came so hopefully that does but we'll see
3: Uh, yeah well the spacing was never allowed to you know uh, that's a whole different his rigidity is on a whole different planet i would say than uh, than the other people that you're talking about specifically but yeah i think you're right i think he has three pieces here you know that that shooting playmaking downhill pressure sort of triangle that I think that you want your like lead initiator scores to have, you know, the shooting has come along. He's always leaned that way a little bit more. The downhill is obviously there. The passing, like you said, I think, I think that it's improved and it's been an interesting thing where I feel like, okay, C fans are like excited about him. You know, it's kind of a thing where they're, they're happy for him, but they're also just like, settle down like we want to be bad like don't don't be too good like I feel feel like I've heard that a lot from Oklahoma City fans uh because they want to get Cade like like every team
2: how would the Cade Cunningham Gildas Alexander fit work Kyle
3: I've asked some people about this I think it would work I mean on on paper it doesn't feel like the shooting would quite be like at the I think you'd have to have a pretty good shooter in that like three four range like I think that you'd have to have some some quality there I don't know what do you guys think about that balance
4: I mean, I feel like with Shea, we've seen it work before. He's really been able to play off Chris Paul in LA his first year. He's playing off all their vets. It seems like that's kind of what makes Shea so appealing is the ability to... You kind of, you think about it, like, if there are two, you could play Shea with Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green or Cade, really. I just think Shea is that ultimate chess piece you can move around.
2: Yes. He, he can fit with any of them. Any of the potential top guys in the draft, he can fit with anybody. And with Kate, it'd be interesting because you'd have two jumbo-sized playmakers. And then if Alexei Pokushevsky could ever turn into something, I mean you have a playmaker. We have j- to get yeah. a Poku reference. <laughs> had to, to happen. <laughs> <laughs> <I> had <laughs> to get him in there. I love this OKC team, man. I mean, like you got <laughs> Hamadou Diallo having a good year. Lou Dort still really good. They uh, Isaiah Roby been pretty good playing for them. They get a lot of talent on the team. Kenny Hustle, Kenrich Williams. Kenny Hustle's I, been good for sure. Yeah, me and Chris Vernon had a big conversation about him on our show uh, yesterday on Tuesday on the mismatch, and Kenrich Ken Williams has been awesome. I mean, it's it's really no wonder why this team is uh, uh, really outdoing expectations right now. They have a lot of talent. It's really as yeah. simple as that.
3: A lot going on here. I mean, they're this is they have a lot of flexibility as a franchise going forward. Sam Presti's got a fun job right now with all the draft picks he has.
2: Uh, let's move on to my first player, and that's Nick Claxton from the Brooklyn Nets. He's only played five games this season, so he gets an incomplete grade for all those absences. You get a B or B-plus for the five games he's played because he's shown the upside to be the most important big for the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. He's just in his second season foot eleven and 226 pounds up from 215 last year. He's got long arms, quickness, agility, and that all enables Brooklyn to do what they want to do, and that's be versatile on defense and switch screens. But with Claxton, they can do that without sacrificing size and length like they do when they go to Bruce Brown, their guard turn center, or how they really just sacrifice the ability to switch their bigs onto guards like they do with DeAndre Jordan. So, Claxton gives them the best of both worlds. And offensively, you know, you guys all watched him in college too. It's so easy to forget that he was running some offense at Georgia because they didn't have a point guard. Uh, And he showed pretty good passing skills for a guy in a role that should be really playing that role. And I think with Kyrie, Katie, and James Harden, I'm excited to see how that develops because they do so much with short role playmaking with Bruce Brown. I think there's a little bit of that in Claxton on the offensive end of the floor and even if there's not he's so good finishing around the rim already either with loud finishes or finesse finishes that he's going to be able to fit right in and on both ends of the floor he can shoot threes a little bit too so you know nick claxton incomplete but with potential over the second half of the season and into the playoffs to be an a plus he's
4: been good so far i'm loving the way claxton's playing KOC, are you worried about blake griffin's taking a spot i'm worried about that no, I, I
2: mean we get a the video we're doing this week for the void is about Blake Griffin and about the Nets and all their you know different okay. pieces they have in the front core. Like about Blake, he gives a little bit of the best of both worlds. He gives you the offensive playmaking, and he also allows you to be a bit more flexible on defense, unlike like DeAndre Jordan. But he gives you size. DJ is the more traditional option they have. Bruce Brown, the more you know small, super small ball guy that they can plug into the five. Claxton and Griffin, even if there's certain situations where griffin might be eating minutes i think from the brooklyn nets perspective from like a management coaching perspective having all those options is great um, mm-hmm. so even though you might love to see claxing at 25 minutes per game i don't think it's such a bad thing for a team with championship hopes to be playing matchups more than anything else which could be good for claxon's development too to be in situations that's best for him you know what i'm saying there
3: yeah and i think even if you know, even if Griffin, even if Nash does decide to give Griffin, you know, Claxton's minutes, if it does play out like that, the the Claxton hive is so big and so loud that I don't see any way that Nash couldn't lose his job. And then also, <laughs> you forgot, um, you know, respected as he is, I think that uh, the other you, you you forgot an important uh, <laughs> you you forgot an important stat KOC, which is under. Among players under twenty four years old in the NBA, number one in BPM, Nick Claxton. Now that's Love on it. five games. That's a small st- That's a small sample, but I expect that to hold, and for him to be the best player in the class for sure. But Kyle,
4: it's like I told you: if you already believe it, the sample doesn't matter. It already it's already true. You already know. <laughs>
3: Yes, and <laughs> like I told you, yeah, I'm good, just going to kind of adopt that like so many people have in our society today and live by those words.
2: Uh, <laughs> along those same lines, though, small sample sizes, be damned. With Claxton, wouldn't it all surprise you guys if he ends up in the end being the the big man who leads Brooklyn in minutes in a postseason? This
4: year, yes. Going down the it road. It would surprise no. you? Okay. This so, year, I mean, like, as a rookie, or basically?
2: Yeah, basically a rookie. He didn't play much last season, yeah. 15 games. So basically a rookie. It's, you know, he's... The only has logged twenty games in his career, and he's been hurt, missed developmental time, recovering, and all that. But he's gained, you know, eleven pounds. He looks stronger out there on the court to me. He's yeah, still he going to get huge. Old. Yeah, he looks great. I mean, it's really amazing how much his body has changed. I, I'll be, I'll be real with you. I wouldn't be surprised if that two twenty six number was wrong because that measurement's taken before the season began. I'd I mean, love to seven know feet what tall. So yeah, that's
4: very skinny at two twenty
2: six. Yeah, probably two thirty five. Yeah, he he looks bigger to me than two twenty six and. I think there's a chance he could be the guy for them this year. He's, he's, That's really exciting. i I'd, I'd, I'd be
4: awesome. Oh, I like I think there's I a chance. It.
2: He looks really really good in those 5 games and this is a guy coming back mid-season to a championship contender, called off the bench, coming back from an injury and he looks that good.
3: He's kind of a little bit he is well, he hasn't proven it yet. I guess I just want to say he I think Let's he has a chance Kyle. to all right. I might Put it out there. So, my Kentucky people here, this, he, I think that he has a chance to be what we thought Willie Colley Stein was going to be in terms of like, I think that he gives you, if you ever watch him get down and get in a stance out on the perimeter, like that was the big thing with Willie coming out. Everybody was like, oh, he switched on to Jerry and Grant for that last shot against Notre Dame. I swear it got that him drafted great. high. So I swear <laughs> one play, everybody was like, wow. That was one uh, that, hell of a no, moment. It, it is so funny how
4: that works, uh, though. Like, it was a 6'5 G League guard looking back on it, but
3: whatever. You can just <laughs> see... You Sometimes you can just see where, like, the hammer hits the fault line and everybody's... And, and there's, like, a moment that people are going to remember, and that was one of them. But anyway, like, if you watch Claxton get in a stance, I just think that he has the potential to be more switchable on that front. I think he can carry more weight than Willie did, and I think that he can give you playmaking and potentially shooting, too, which just expands the whole thing. I know... We we are so up on Nick Claxton, it's hilarious. But anyway, That's
4: great. Uh, let's move on to your next one, Sharks. Okay, so I'm gonna do James Wiseman, um, number two overall pick in the draft, going to the Warriors. I mean, I think we all kind of know about him now. He's had an up and down year. He's been hurt. Started the season as a star, now coming off the bench, and I just find him so fascinating. And I don't think it's really even so much about. I'll say the grade is a C, but I think it's more about the Warriors than Wiseman. Because the more I think about it, the more I watch him on Golden State, I just feel like it's almost like a football thing where he just doesn't fit their system whatsoever. I think Golden State has one of the most specific systems in the league, like system-oriented teams. And if I was James Wiseman, put me in the pick and roll in space, simplify the game, right? Easy decisions, pass or dunk. Let me use my athletic ability. He's in golden state where it's okay. They're running a 50 off ball cuts. You catch the ball on the high post, quick decisions, use the screener. You don't get to hold the ball very much whatsoever. You're kind of asked to be a really, really high IQ player right away. And they're putting a 19 year old center in this spot. I think it's really, really tough for him. And it's only going to get harder. I don't know if y'all saw Steph's quote, a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was really interesting. So Steph said, it's a matter of continuing his confidence that he can provide huge value value for us, not to get caught up in the rookie power rankings, the talk about other guys in the top of the draft class. Everybody's in a different situation. We love having him. And it's like, yeah, listen to podcasts like us. Talk about LaMelo for half an hour and you're James Wiseman. What's your instinct? Okay. I got to prove myself. How do I prove myself? I got to get points. I got to get rebounds. I got to, you know, I got to score. But that's not what they need him to do whatsoever. And I think what's really hard for him is the things he does well, and the things I've been surprised at with Wiseman, like he can bring the ball up the floor himself. He can go coast to coast. He can shoot threes sometimes. He's got this really interesting offensive game. They just don't need that from him. What they need is like a really, like a Zaza, Pachulia, Andrew Bogut. And that's what I'm worried about with Wiseman is one, he doesn't rebound very well. And two, he doesn't catch passes very well. That's kind of like the fundamental building block stuff they need. That he doesn't have and I just think I feel like with guys who don't succeed more often than not it's because teams are asking to be something they're not right you got to change your game to fit with us and that's a big ask for a guy like Wiseman and I'm worried about that what's your grade for him Charks I I would say C but that's not really a knock on him as much as the system he's in the fit Mm.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's. It's really hard to rewire yourself, like when you and you were talking about the pressure. I, it, they're the two things kind of going on at the same time that are really tough for him. And that is, you know, like you said, he's he grew up number one. I mean, how many years in a row was he number one in his class? I mean, several. He was always I think the
4: whole time, right? Yeah, yeah. Basically. So I mean,
3: yeah, that's that's what he's used to. And and some of these guys have kind of come out of the woodwork and just kind of passed him in the meantime. And then, um, yeah, in terms of his. His fit, yeah, just like rewiring your basketball brain, I'm sure that that, that impatience is sort of building up for him.
2: Let's, um, let's compare and contrast Wiseman to the other player that I wanted to talk about real quick. Yeah, I, I like think it's relevant show. here, and, and that's DeAndre Ayton because with Ayton this season, his third year after being the number one pick, he's averaging a career low in points per game and field goal attempts per game, but a career high in efficiency. And you could look at Ayton and say, oh, the offensive numbers are underwhelming. But what he has done is exactly what he needs to do for the team. And that's become the best defender he can be. Players this season are shooting 8% worse at the rim when Aiton is contesting their shots. That's one of the best numbers for any young big in the entire league. He, you know, is a guy who is knocked for his defense during the draft and has become a good overall defender who sometimes is great, sometimes is above average when the effort isn't all the way there. But more often than not, I've been encouraged by what Eaton has become. And he has fully embraced. Israel, I interviewed him uh, the other week for the feature story I did on the Suns, and we talked about that, and he's just like, I look around the court, and I see a bunch of shooters, I see Chris Paul, I see Devin Booker, and I know what I need to do, you know, to win, and that's set the best screens that he can set, roll hard to the rim, finish as well as he can, even after offensive rebounds, he's like, I'm looking for guys on the perimeter not thinking about just going back up. I'm thinking about finding somebody who's open and he has a mentality. That's very unselfish. And for Wiseman, I'm not, that's that's not saying that he is selfish. He's not, but there's a learning curve there for a player who's been number one, been the guy their whole life and was the number two pick in the draft. And now is playing with Stephen Curry and eventually going to be playing with Clay Thompson and playing with Draymond green right now. Where at some point, he is going to have to take on that Aiton style mentality of like this is what I need to do to be the best player that I can be for my team right now to be the best team that it can be, and maybe someday that offensive development occurs. But right now, the fit's just very weird for Wiseman and Golden State, and it'll take time, but I think, for him to really fit in there, if ever.
4: Well, I mean, I think that's so interesting is when you're drafting centers, it's a role-playing position, right? There's member, like there's I think we were about this last year, KOC, where you're like. The center, either the superstar, or you're the role player. And just most centers are in that role player mold where you have to do the role player stuff first and the superstar stuff comes later. And I'm curious for yeah. you with Aiden, do you see that? Do you see him getting to that Embiid, Cat, go Jokic level, or is he going to be a good role playing center? Probably not,
2: to be honest with you. Yeah. But- um, I do think it's worth saying that like this guy is still like super, you know, freakish with his athleticism and is the body that he has where there's still room for improvement over time for somebody who didn't start playing, you know, organized basketball until he was in his teen years. Ayton did never really played high level of high school competition until, you know, junior senior year until later in high school. So for him, he hasn't played against elite competition for a long time. And the flashes have been there for him to be more of a go-to option, but to be like a perimeter guy, you know, who's handling a heavier load on your offense. I, I don't really see that with him, but I think that's okay. As long as he becomes the best version of what he can be on the defensive end of the floor, as long as he can continue finishing at a good rate around the rim and making the right passes. There's been improvement in those areas, areas that were formerly weaknesses, that that's encouraging for him making his positive traits even better. And, you know, when I talked to James Jones, their their general manager, he said for DA, they hope long-term that they can start adding those layers to his offense right now. They want him in pick and rolls to go to the basket. They don't want him pick and popping at some point. Maybe that is something that starts developing for him, but right now it's not there. And that's, what's interesting with Wiseman. You know, we've seen those flashes on offense. What we need to see is the inverse, We need to see like the reliability with playmaking, the reliability with making the right pass on the offensive end of the floor, not just making the right play, but doing it quickly and doing it, you know, the speed that's necessary for this fast moving Warriors offense and being in the right position defensively. And that takes time for bigs, man. And that's the big thing DeAndre said to me, like everybody talked about my defense out out of, you know, college. I was knocked for that, but he's like, I never, I didn't have experience. He's like, it's hard to come to the NBA and, and you have like this rotation happen on the weak side of the floor and you've got to direct your teammate to rotate. You give so much to think about it. It takes time. And for Wiseman, it will take time, but there's undeniably that was, those were the knocks on him prior to the draft. And like, where's your confidence level at? Kyle and with him being able to fit into this golden state roster moving forward. Cause it seemed like there's some skepticism from all of us here.
3: It depends on the person, you know, because his, his situation is unique. Like if you, if you talk about the development of somebody like Embiid or, or towns, those are guys that came into teams that were just abhorrently terrible. And there was a lot of runway and open road for, they were like, they didn't have anything in place. So when they came in, they were just like, go to town, man. Because if Wiseman, if Wiseman came into the exact same situation that the cat that did with the Timberwolves or Embiid did Embiid also is, you know, came, he actually started getting minutes when he was a little older. So it's weird to, cause he had those injuries That's and true. things like that. But I think with Wiseman, yeah, it just, it comes down to a, a mentality, you know, how, and, and we do this odd thing where, you know, did you say what your grade was for, for Aiton? Oh, no, I did not. B plus. Okay. Yeah, because I think we do this weird thing where we're like, well, an A would be these counting stats being maxed out and things like that. There's like this weird push and pull between our idea of like what a good basketball player is. It's like if he fits into a winning environment, that's a success. And I think that so on that level, his his situation, Ayton and Wiseman have similar situations going on right now where they're, they have the potential to be like in playoff settings really soon. Well, they're going to be. The Suns are going to be. The Warriors are going to be. Um, so I think there's time. There's still time for him to do that in terms of like him hitting uh, a ceiling where he is like the center of an offense, the center of an efficient offense and a two-way player. I'm skeptical of that too. Um, Just because I just don't know that he has the same kind of like raw offensive talent that, that guys like Cat and Embiid have, but he, I think he still could be a a very good NBA player.
4: Okay. I hate to do this and this will be done a million times, but we got to do it at least once. I mean, if they had Lamelo right now in Golden oh boy, State, oh like what would that look like, and how does that change their whole? I I just get the feeling it's like watching Luke all over again, where like the mat the guys who didn't poop past on Luca got fired, and the only ones to fire Bob Myers, obviously. But passing on Lamelo, it just feels like that's one of the decisions that's going to change every franchise that didn't go that way. You know? Did you guys
2: see Jalen Rose say the other day on Jalen and Jacoby that? The Warriors. He reported that the Warriors told Lamelo on draft day that they were taking him, and then they didn't. And I don't know. No, I didn't is, see that. I don't know if this is Man. true. Uh, um, I can't confirm that. But there were a lot of rumblings that day that they were going to take Lamelo, and, and 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 I look back at that and I wonder how much of that, if true, was some leverage there to try to force a trade up from Charlotte. You know, because mm. they because they because yeah. yeah. they were worried about Charlotte. You know, hopping them. You know, for Wiseman are getting, you know, someone taking Wiseman ahead of them at one. And I wonder if maybe go and say wanted to open the door for them to trade down. Like, let's just say Charlotte had traded up to take Wiseman at number one. That would mean Edwards would go three, potentially. They could have traded down with Chicago to number four. And taking him there rather than at number two, very confusing uh, right here. But I just wonder if how mu- how much of that how much of that yeah. was them trying to shuffle the deck up top in order to open the potential to trade down. Because had Lamelo not been there for Charlotte, Charlotte's probably taking Wiseman, which means Golden State wouldn't have been able to get him. So I, I wonder if how much of it was like a strategic decision that just didn't play out and just ma- maybe made them look bad in the end.
4: Yeah, I, but can you imagine in the Golden State offense, Lamelo top of the key, Steph cutting, Clay cutting. It's just oh, hard not to Lord. think about it, man. It's just hard not to think about it.
3: I think I think that they would be maybe the greatest league pass team of all time, and that's it. Well, I mean, other than like those really fun war. I mean, can you imagine that offense humming with him? Uh, that that would I don't know. He'd it might be affect- such
4: a good fit in that offense. I think with cutting oh, now that he can shooting that it just feels like that could have changed the whole league. I mean, if you had Lamelo and Golden State for the next five years like that. Oh, I mean, the more I it, think about it, it's like that extends Steph's prime, that extends clay. That was the move. And yep. that's why the draft <laughs> it, is so important. Like everything changes. You make everything changes. It, you know,
2: with, with Golden State right now, you know, they they have interest in Victor Oladipo, a guy who makes sense. You know, they need a guy to fill that Andre Iguodala, Sean Livingston role. LaMelo Ball could have done that. He could have been their supercharged version of Livingston and Iguodala helping Steph Curry out, handling the ball, helping Klay Thompson out, delivering him the ball next season when, that got, when they're all back together. Like you said, Sharks, it would have changed the league if the Warriors yeah. landed LaMelo.
3: I made this point in my Draymond video, and that's like what was that's what was so maddening about stopping those Warriors teams is that like when when you pepper in your playmaking and your assist percentage from all over the place, the way they did with Livingston, the way they did with Iguodala, the way they do with Draymond, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's like you're just tougher to game plan for because it's not coming from one place. So if you throw Lamelo out there, who we said demonstrated that he doesn't need to pound the ball and be a high usage creator to be effective, it's like he. Yeah, it would have been it would have been insane.
2: Yeah. Let's uh, move on to our final player for midterm grades. Who do you got, Kyle? Uh,
3: I have a fellow that I did a video about pre-draft. This guy's name is Denny Av- Avdia. I was told that it's Avdia. Tell me if that's, that's correct, correct on Twitter or not. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so Denny Avdia, he's a six nine, two ten, power forward, number nine pick in the NBA draft to the by the Wizards. Uh, he's had a rookie season that has been sort of the inverse of what Lamelo has experienced. Um, whereas Lamelo, you know, moved into the starting lineup after 20 games, Denny moved out into the second unit after 20 games. Uh, the Wiz were 5-15 with him in the starting lineup, and they've been 9-5 and five since. Wow. Uh, against a tougher schedule, too. Um I don't think that anybody expected Avia to set the world on fire statistically. I mean, personally, I projected him as like a supporting spot-up playmaker off the catch who like occasionally threw in some pick and roll here and there. Um, He's averaging 5.9 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, 1.3 assists. Um, His BPM is negative 3.8, which is a tough kind of sign for a rookie. Uh, But I think that that number might be misleading, Uh, Because of his situation. Like his shot looks fine and he's shown those glimpses of like playmaking. And um, but the the key thing here is that like with Beal and Westbrook at 35.8 and 31.2 usage uh separately, it's been difficult for him to showcase the thing, the pluses that would keep him on the floor, which kind of brings me to the big knock on him, which has been tough. Is that you know, instead of having that situation where he could do some things to offer something. Uh, there's been a lot of pressure put on his defensive struggles and where he's at 1.119 points per possession which is in the 6th percentile of the league way down there uh, and there's some more specifics about that but uh overall I'm going to give Avdia a 60 a 69% <laughs> on his <mentor>. Ha! <laughs>
4: why not let's, the, let's end on a
3: 69 sure yeah. sure i circled the drain and thought about going down and i just decided to, anyway <laughs> very nice uh, Kyle. i mean very he, nice. He, i don't know how much you guys have watched him i mean it's just been tough for him to do the things that he does well and i think that he needs runway and he needs reps to develop the things that i think are going to long term be his offering in the nba because defensively he's just had some issues um i think he's been a little bit overwhelmed by like the speed. Um, like the second step speed of drivers in the NBA. I think he's kind of caught between worlds. Like he's not long or athletic enough to bother fours and threes, and he's not fast enough to guard uh, perimeter scores. So he's he's just had some issues there. But, you know, effort is fine. Have you guys seen him defensively much at all?
2: I think he's solid for a rookie. Uh, I mean, I I, I share some of the long-term concerns that you have, but. I still think he's been solid overall for a rookie. He's It's a weird fit for all the reasons you outlined, Kyle. I mean, he's somebody who can be a playmaker for you, and those opportunities aren't there when you're playing alongside Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. And so in that sense, there's some disappointment with what we could have seen in a different situation. It kind of ties into everything we're talking about here, like imagining Wiseman in a situation where he's being fed the ball more often, LaMelo in a situation where he's playing alongside Steph. Situation, opportunity, environment directly affect player performance and player development and i'm not quite sure that Avdia is in the best place right now for that development um but overall though i i still i would be giving him more than a 69 you know in terms of grade (laughs) so i oh you would maybe maybe a c plus more than instead of a d maybe i'm being
3: hard on it maybe it should be in the 70s but it's You know, I I acknowledge his strengths and how they need to grow. And I I just think that he, that number absolutely could be higher if he had a different situation. So maybe, you know, if you're factoring all those things in. um, What I'm
2: still most perplexed by with him, though, is the shooting. The shooting is weird with Avi. It always has been where he's shooting 36% from three this year, but only 58% from the free throw line.
3: It makes no sense. He doesn't get to the the line and he's He's also shot only
4: 19 free throws. So, like, it's hard to even. That's like less than one a game. Sure, right? I mean, like to be fair, like it's a
2: small sample, but also like this is somebody who pre-draft talked about how his shooting is mental. He says it's all mental; it's in his head. And the free throw shooting,
4: granted, it's a small sample, still sub sixty percent. Yeah, and Israel was the same thing. That weird split. Exactly. I think with Denny, it reminds a little bit of Obi Toppin at eight. Where when I look at these guys, I always try to ask myself, "What is your role in the NBA?" Right away. How can you like? How are you going to find your role if you're not a top five pick? Because if you're not a top five pick, they're not probably going to move a team around to get you that role, right? You kind of got to break your way in and just find a spot for yourself. And a guy like Denny is just hard to do that because he needs the ball in his hands. He's not a plus defender and he's not a plus shooter. So to me, it wouldn't surprise me if Denny ends up going to like two, three teams, right? If Washington kind of like mediocres out for the next two, three years with Beal and Westbrook. Maybe they flip him for a wing who can guard, be a three and D guy, and he goes to team two, then maybe goes to team three, and then he finds that role, right? It's all about fit. If you're not a top five pick and the fit's hard to find, that's how guys start moving around the NBA.
3: I think you're absolutely right. That was something that I thought a lot about pre-draft was that he kind of strikes me as a Joe Ingles type. Like He's somebody that can play with with other initiators and be a guy that you can kind of mix in and mix up your looks. But he, he has a sort of a t- timidity to him. I think that he might grow out of too, because when you watch him play defense, he schematically, I was going to tell this story about like pre-draft when I was doing research on him, I somehow came across like a 2k stream where he was playing with some people and he, and they were like, man, your defensive rotations are perfect. And it was like, he's somebody that knows the game really well. And he's in, he's, it just made me laugh. Cause I was like, He knows where to be. It's just a situation of him kind of getting them, maybe not not to be overly simplistic about it. So, wait, so he was controlling a
4: player and moving him defensively, help side a different spot.
1: (laughs) He was like, deep research, Kyle. I
3: like it. it, Well, I I just accidentally found it. That's such a just meaningless throwaway thing. But, like, he, I just, I make that point that, like, he is in in the places where he needs to be. He understands the rotations, I think. It's just, he has a little bit of, like, deference and, like, um, he doesn't really have the audacity to just go out there and be like, I'm shooting or, you know, like he just that toughness, I think will come into him maybe as he gets older.
2: Let's move on to
3: draft class,
2: which is our segment where we talk about an NBA draft prospect in the upcoming draft. And this week we're going to talk about Jalen green who played for the G league ignite and has had no issues with being timid on the offensive end of the floor. Charks, you wrote about Jalen green this week for the ringer.com with a great article with the headline. If everybody wants to look it up, Jalen Green is the best scorer in the NBA draft in a G League experiment. Sharks, please
4: tell us about Jalen Green. Okay, so Jalen Green, um, he's a guy, if you kind of follow recruiting stuff, I think he was number one for a long time in his class. He's a real, he's probably 6'4", 6'5", combo guard, maybe even 6'3". Crazy, number one, crazy, crazy athlete. Talking 40-inch vertical. He's a guy who can just dunk in the lane. I had a clip like he misses this dunk, but he jumps from the restricted area and like elevates and hangs and like cocks it back. He's just that kind of electric Zach Levine level athlete. Plus he's got a jump shot and handles. So he just scores very, very easily. And that's what stood out to me watching him is not only did he score a lot in the G, in the, which what I expected is he was very efficient scoring, right? That's unusual. He's a 19 year old kid playing against 25 year olds. And he's getting to his spots. He's hitting his shots consistently on a pretty high efficient level, and that. And you compare him to Jonathan Kaminga, the other top five pick in the Ignite team, the percentages are wildly different. Green is a much smaller player, but he's hitting twos at a higher rate, threes at a much higher rate. He's knocking down free throws. This is a guy who can just score at all three levels as a nineteen-year-old, and that's pro- I mean, that's like the strength of his game, obviously.
2: You say he can score at all three levels. What does he lean on most right now? Is he more perimeter-based? Is he, like,
4: downhill? Like, what's the style, you know, when it comes to scoring at all those different levels? I think it's, like, I would say more the style is, like, I'm going to score. Like, he's, like, i just going to find the basket. And I think that's what worries me about him sometimes, too, is that he doesn't really read the floor very well. It's, like, I got the ball. How am I going to score right now? Okay, let's just do it. And it's hard to stop him one-on-one, but... I don't really see him much of a playmaker right now. And I don't even think like he takes great shots a lot. He's just so athletic. Even his bad shots become good shots.
3: Yeah, what's, isn't he like the all time leading scorer or something? He scored some ungodly amount of points in high school, but that's just kind of. He kind of. I was going to pose this to you. He's on I actually think he looks like he's like 6'3. And I have some questions about like his frame. He's li- yeah, he's very worth, scrawny. He's
2: listed at 6'6, six, six, correct? Even though he's. Yes, he, but there's no on, way. He's definitely not that tall he looks Bradley Beal size to me who's listed at 6'3".
3: Yeah I kind of put him and I put in our doc I put a picture of him and Zach Levine at UCLA next to each other because Levine has kind of I mean he's moved to the point where he's a pretty solid dude he's still he's filled
4: out for sure Levine has yeah
3: and I'm just wondering hit like shoulder width and things like that it looks like Levine is a little bit bigger like built bigger than him but we'll see um I think I think you're right and I kind of uh, Levine and another person I had him on this spectrum of do we think that he's a Levine type who Levine has grown into? And you did a really good job describing Levine's growth and his challenges and how he really worked and things like that. And it kind of brings up questions about who is Green gonna be as a player in terms of his work ethic. I don't know what kind of intel we have on that, but could he take the same path that Levine did? Could he could he become like a, the center, like the best player on a on a on a good NBA team, like as a scorer and a playmaker? Do you see that as possible?
4: I'd say it's possible, but he's just so far away right now. I think the big thing for him will be getting stronger. He's 180 pounds, and that's going to really, I think, slow him down at the NBA level. He's just got to get a lot physically stronger. He's just got to put on probably, I mean, you compare him to Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs is 205 pounds. Like 25 pounds rock. is a lot. Yeah, and that's what you just got to have if you're going to be a number one option in the NBA level. You got to be able to hit, take hits.
3: The last thing on this is in terms of his ceiling he he seems like he kind of reminds me of Monk when Monk was in high school the way he was just like I'm a like nuclear bucket getter skinny yeah. guy about 63 and that was kind of the spectrum that I was thinking I was like is he going to be that type of player or a Levine type
2: so Charles you know. had Terrence Ross is another name in there a guy who can create his own shot and I thought that was you a, know a really smart line in the article Charles he wrote green will get buckets in the NBA the question is how long it'll it will take him to do anything else and it, it might be a little harsh, but I think it's accurate. When you watch Jalen Green, the playmaking needs to develop. And what I'm curious about is early in his career, you know, any young player you'd like to have them bring some level of defense, defense to the floor. We talked about LaMelo earlier with the activity off ball. We're talking about what Wiseman needs to do to maximize what he can be. What does Jalen Green bring on defense right now? What have you seen from him during
4: his, you know, season in the G League? I mean, he gets steals sometimes. He's very quick. I think he, I guess he has pretty long arms. I just, I think the biggest thing is if I draft Jalen green, like we're just going to the gym, like we're getting, we're getting the weight room and we're just hitting the weights for like three months. He's just, we're getting them bigger and stronger. Cause until that happens in the NBA, I think that's so underrated for defense is just pure strength, right? Cause if you're going to be guarding guards, it's ball screens, getting over screens, sticking with guys on drives. It's just all about strength more often than not. And he just doesn't have it right now.
3: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that the strength that just eats into his like what I call like his offensive bandwidth, which is like if you're not strong and you're in the middle of the floor, you're worried about you're, – you're consumed with like staying on balance, staying on your pass, staying on your spot. If you're getting knocked off of your spot a lot, it's hard to be a good decision maker. It just eats into your your mental space, and I think that that's an issue for him. So before he can get before he can improve in those areas, absolutely he has to get stronger so that he can stay. You know, uh, it, it's just going to help his awareness and across the board. And just
2: one last question on Jalen Green. A lot of time before the draft, so much can change. But where are you guys at with him right now? Is he in your top two? Is he in your top three? How does he compare to some of these other names we've discussed in recent weeks, like Cade Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan
4: Mobley? Okay, so for me, I think I have Cade and Mobley as a cut above. To okay. me, they're my top two pretty high. And I, I think Green and Suggs. I are not, I'd go Suggs three, green four, but I think to me that's gonna be one of the big questions in this draft is those two guys at that range. I think I, my top four is those four. I think Kaminga to me is not in
3: that level. I'm okay. not a
4: big Kaminga guy. How about you, Kyle?
3: I yeah, I don't I wouldn't have him. I, I agree with Charks. I think that it's Cade and Mobley. I have Cade as tier one and then Mobley and then Suggs and then I would there's some guys that could shift up, you know, it depends on where green goes on that spectrum. You know, I lean a little more skeptical. Like I think he is going to be more in that like monk E mm. kind of range. Now I don't mean production, not like don't hold me exactly to yeah. the production quote there, but I don't even think he's just like built like somebody like Terrence Ross. Like I, I just, I really need Ross to see is that. bigger For sure. Yeah. To move with any confidence anyway. Right. So, I don't know. There's some guys that could move up. Like, I still think, like, Barnes and I think Zaire could move up. I think, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of shift that can happen. A lot happen. of time till the draft. So much can change. I'm with you guys
2: right now with Cade Kate, Kate Cunningham and Evan Mobley being above him. And Jalen sucks, too. But um, today it's 50 degrees out in Brockton, Massachusetts. It feels like summertime. I, I got a short sleeve shirt on. Pod's <laughs> over. I'm going to go for a walk today with my mom. It's our first nice. walk outside in a long time. Got get a short sleeve shirt on. What's I'm the excited.
4: shirt, KFC? Let me see it. What do you got there? It's fa- Father Who's John that? Misty, Josh Tillman, Father John ah, Misty, yeah, yeah, yeah. classic. That's yeah, great.
3: That's great. You look so alive and vibrant and just youthful right now. You look. I mean, good, you've got
4: man. you've got the spring background going on in <laughs> your zoom. So. Yeah, thank you, it's thank tame you, Tame Impala, yeah, Tame Impala
2: inner speaker <laughs> background there. What do you guys have planned for today? What's going on in the world of Jake Allenman and Jonathan Sharks? Just got to start planning for
3: a video. Same old, same old, and uh, yeah, you know.
4: Getting ready for March Madness. It's, it's so exciting. We missed it last year. I can't wait to do it this year. It's going to be so much fun. Will be, we'll, I guess we'll do our pod after the first weekend of games. So heading into the Sweet 16. But I'm really excited. I've missed it. It's My favorite time of the year is March Madness. Maybe we'll see Kentucky. We'll definitely see Texas. Let's go.
3: I usually set up like three or four screens and kind of sit back and just uh, chill out. Yeah, it's one of the best times of the year.
4: All right. Well, thank you guys. We'll be back
2: in two weeks with another episode of Ringer NBA University. Thank you to Isaiah Blakely for producing the show. And thank you everybody for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to the podcast feed and let a friend who also likes the NBA know about the show. Maybe they'll like it too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a fun day.
3: Basketball is very good.